Don't drag through the day. Run to your next opportunity of doing something and finish it. Look forward to it. It's so much attitude. That's why happiness is a choice, not a circumstance. Happiness or the lack thereof is not what someone else can do to you. It's a choice. You can be happy no matter what other people are doing to you. I think Paul and Silas were kind of abused in Acts chapter 16, stripped naked, whipped in public, put in manacles, and put in the deepest dungeon in the Philippian jail of the Roman Empire. But what were they doing at midnight? Singing hymns and praising God. Because it was a choice. They didn't let that. Those are more negative circumstances than you've ever had or that I've ever had. Yet they chose to be like a hind, although they were in shackles, so their dancing was limited. He will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. If you own some real estate, the highest ground that you had was your favorite place, because from there you had the best protection, from there you had the best view. From there, all the pagan nations in Canaan would build their idols to their false gods. On those high places, Israel, when they were not obeying the word of God, would build their own high places to Jehovah. They were the preferred pieces of property. And it's where you would go when you were excited and happy. When you were victorious. And so the prophet here says, The Lord God is my strength. He gives me this power. And he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. <clears throat> now that is verse 19. His statements in verse 18 lead us to verse 19. His statements in verse 18 is, I will rejoice. I will joy. Right. And once we start, the Lord will bless us. Right. You know that I've preached this before, and so did Brother Jim. I believe he was the last one to work Psalm 27 over. Look at Psalm 27 with me to see this aspect of how the Lord wants us to take the first step and then He'll help us with strength following, which is, I hope you can see there in the book of Habakkuk as well. We want to dance our way through life like David danced with all his might. Now, David wasn't dancing all the time. David has psalms where he's not dancing, he's crying. Solomon, his son, wrote, there is a time to dance and there is a time to mourn the opposite of dancing but those are exceptions paul said he was cast down but not destroyed even when he was cast down it didn't destroy him he didn't give up on god he didn't get give up on fundamental basic elements of joy contentment peace and happiness inside he was just kind of confused and perplexed waiting for the lord to give him an out of some situation he was in and if we're honest his situations are were worse than ours If we're honest, Psalm 27 is a wonderful psalm. It has many things to comfort you and to fill you with happiness and joy and thanksgiving. But verses 13 and 14, I had fainted. Now that is a past perfect tense of a verb. And in this particular case, the sense of it is I would have fainted because the next word is unless. See, there wasn't any fainting. I would have fainted because of the word unless. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because I did believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, 
because I did believe that God was going to take care of me and restore the joy of His salvation in my life, I didn't faint. I would have. And I had fainted unless. I hope you can understand that verse. Verse 14 tells us what we ought to do. Wait in the Lord. And that doesn't mean sit around and do nothing because it's going to tell you what you should be doing while you're waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Stir yourself up. Make that choice of talking to yourself positively instead of talking to yourself negatively. Those of you that have a melancholy bent and talk and think to yourself, it's all unproductive. It never produces anything. All it does is drag you down and slow you down. It's not an asset. Let, Lord, let the Lord think for you. He's already thought through every part of your life. You just churning and burning, churning and churning and churning and churning. You make yourself sick. I've been there, done that many, many times. Don't do it. Be of good courage. Make a choice and say, I can do this. I'm going to go do it right now. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So in verse 14, it starts out with wait in the Lord. It ends with wait in the Lord. In between it says, be of good courage and God will strengthen your heart. He is looking for you to take the first step by believing that he is a good heavenly father who is going to come and rescue you. Verse 13 is believing that he is a good heavenly father who is going to come and rescue you. By believing that, he wants you to take a step of faith and be of good courage in the face of some little difficulty like a sink full of dishes that is overwhelming you at the moment. Jump into that thing and grab the first one and do it as unto the Lord, believing that He's got something better for you in the afternoon. And He'll strengthen your heart. When you do it to the Lord and just grab that first one, because my family had the opportunity or the experience, depending on who you're asking, of having a restaurant every morning when they arrived, that is my children, when they arrived and looked in the kitchen, there was a mountain of buns that needed to be cut by hand. And cutting them by hand was a little tricky with a long bread knife, and it was a little tricky because Dad was going to be making his rounds, and if he saw a bun that the top half was not equal to the bottom half, there would be trouble to follow because it's supposed to be done right. But we learned a rule of life. Looking at that mountain of buns, especially boys that don't like to get up early, didn't like to get up early. They're learning. Didn't like to get up early. They would look at that big mountain of buns and be discouraged. And so we learned this little rule for our lives, and I hear it from my wife once a month or so. Pick up the first bun. Pick up the first dish. Pick up the first dish. Be of good courage. You can do it before you know it. It's over. But you got to pick up the first one. And picking up the first one's the hardest one. It's like getting up in the morning. You got to make that first movement of ripping the blankets off and getting out of that cold, that warm little cocoon and hitting the floor. It's that first choice. Because as soon as you make the first choice, the second choice is easier. And by the fourth choice, you can't even remember you had a problem getting up and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I feel good today. Well, where did that come from? Making the first choice. And I'm sorry for elaborating in such a simplistic little metaphorical example for you. But how do you put these verses into practice? These verses are powerful. Why are they powerful? 
Because it says, He shall strengthen thine heart. And when God strengthens a heart, it is powerful. The Lord God is my strength. We read back there in Habakkuk. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Nehemiah 8's the greatest preaching service detailed to us in the Bible. I don't mean that it's greater than the Sermon on the Mount. I mean that the description in detail of this preaching service is more elaborate than anyone else, anywhere else in the Bible. We love this 8th chapter of Nehemiah. It tells us what a church service should look like. Are you feeling some of that dehumidified, chilled air? Pretty fast, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. The witty inventions you've given us exceed the witty inventions you ever gave anyone. Do you know how many slaves Solomon would have to have in here? Waving big fans over water to try to get close to what we're experiencing? He can have it. His air-conditioned ride home would be a chariot that had no cover, windows, or anything. We're, we're so blessed. Amen. So blessed. We take it for granted. Nehemiah 8. The people have come together as a church should come together with one mind and one heart, with adoration of the Word of God and a great desire to hear it preached to them. Verse 8 says, So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly, that is the preachers, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And then Nehemiah and the other leaders told the people not to mourn because this was a good day in which God's word had been preached and they should be celebrating it. And their instruction is in verse 10. Then he said unto them, this is Nehemiah, the Tershatha, meaning the governor appointed by the Persian empire over Israel. Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is so much in that verse. Holiness, we tend to think of as flagellating ourselves like a Roman Catholic. That means beating ourselves with a whip, crawling through the streets on crushed glass, or asphalt, which is very similar in its effect on knees and hands. But this tells us that when it's a holy day to the Lord, we shouldn't be sorry because there's a place for joyfulness. And it's going to go on to describe this day as a day of mirth. It's going to describe it as a day of mirth. Now mirth is extreme joy and gladness and happiness because joy is a greater motivator And joy is a greater energizer than duty ever was. Duty is drudgery. Temperance is torture without an exciting ingredient. Happiness, love, gladness, joyfulness. It's what puts the bounce in your step. Duty has never put a bounce in someone's step. Happiness and love put bounces in steps. When you were dating the person that you're married to, or if you are courting dating in some sense of that word right now, you would enthusiastically, eagerly, energetically do anything for that person. Why? Because there was, was it out of duty? Duty. You know what you were doing at that time. 
you were shirking all duties in order to be with that person. Let's be honest. Right, Dad? It was ugly. We shirk duties in order to be with that person and to do something for them because there are certain emotions and experiences of us that God made us for that energize us and drive us. And it's happiness. And it's love. They work. And so what do we have here? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not your duty. Not the terror. The Bible teaches both. When we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it teaches us that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, we get persuaded by hearing about the terror of the Lord that we've been forgiven of through Jesus Christ. But it immediately goes on just a couple of verses later and says that it is the what of Christ that constrains me. The love of Christ constraineth me because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead and they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him who loved them and gave himself for them. So it tells us that there is a foundational motivator and it's the terror of the Lord. We are dealing with our creator who is righteous and holy and will hold us accountable for our lives when we stand before him. However, once we learn of Jesus Christ and the blessing of His love, His love drives us. So it said, Paul said, His love constrains me. I get persuaded that God should be worshipped by His terror. I get constrained, energized in one direction by Christ's love for me. Oh, husbands and wives, I've pre- I preached a while ago. There's, sometimes the sermons do have a plan to them. I preached on marriage a little while ago, and I'm, I'm preaching on marriage right now. I'm preaching on our church right now. I'm preaching on all of our relationships right now to put happiness in another person and to put love in another person gets the most out of that person for all involved, including them. I'm not going to leave this. I'm not in a hurry. I have... Pages and pages, but I'm not in a hurry. Do you understand the last clause of Nehemiah 8.10? The joy of the Lord is your strength. What's the joy of a wife? I mean, what's the strength of a wife? What's the strength of a husband? What makes a husband or a wife an overcomer? How can you overcome difficulties or discouragements or setbacks in your life? It's joy. It's not duty. Duty stinks. Duty is drudgery. And you know I believe in duty. Because when there's nothing else, there's duty. But if you, want, if you really want to be energized, there's something better than duty. It's love. It's happiness. They drive a person very differently. I want to tell you something. David did not accumulate all the riches for Solomon's temple out of duty. Because it wasn't a duty. He would have mocked duty. He did what he did because he didn't even think about duty. He knew that every other Christian, every other average Christian, thought about duty and did things by duty, and he did it by passion. He did it by delighting in the Lord. He delighted in the Lord, and he has poured out his heart in the Psalms that we have. uh, The the Psalm that Philip read to us last Lord's Day, Psalm 63, Psalm 7, doesn't lend itself as much because he was being slandered in that particular case. But David did things out of passion. 
And passion is far more energizing than duty. When you're doing something by duty, you do the minimum. Because that's all the duty calls for. Have we ever used the expression above and beyond the call of Because the average person just does what's their duty to do. But passion drives you much higher. And passion is happiness. And passion is love. And these things like love and happiness are choices. The power of love is a choice. It's, It's your choice to love another person. It's your choice to love God. That great power of love is a choice you make every day. I am going to love that person. I am going to love God today. I am going to delight in Him. I am going to be happy in Him. I'm going to be joyful in my salvation. I will joy in the God of my salvation. We've read these verses already. And it gives you energy like nothing else. Duty. Duty, let me say it again, duty is drudgery. Temperance is torture compared to passion, happiness, joyfulness, gladness, excitement, love, which are very different ways of motivating a person. And so Nehemiah says, stop. I know that we just read the book of Deuteronomy and you heard some of the most severe curses ever pronounced against our nation. And I know you just heard them carefully explained, and you understood them here in Nehemiah chapter 8. But today is holy to the Lord. Don't you mourn, because mourning is not going to get it done. Don't sit around and mourn about I'm such a failure. Don't sit around and mourn about my faults. Don't sit around and mourn about I don't measure up. None of us measure up. I live with that every day of my life. You know, I turn on Joel Osteen for one minute. He gets to preach to 30,000. And listen, when I'm asleep, I can preach better than he can. Because he never preaches. He doesn't preach the Bible, but they're all sitting there. I can, you know, I'm a total failure in my ministry. Total total failure. I know all about the stupid thoughts. But look look what the Lord wants us to see and read from this verse. Don't be sorry. Don't mourn. Did they have reason to be sorry? Oh, yeah. Had they kept the Feast of Booths? We're going to learn something about this group of people. Had they kept the Feast of Booths? No, the Feast of Booths hadn't been kept for hundreds of years. And they're going to learn about it over the next seven days of preaching because they're hearing things that they hadn't been practicing. But listen to the instruction. Don't be sorry. Don't mourn. This day is holy. If you really want to make a change... Let it be by joy. Because joy and love toward a person or toward God or toward His worship or toward His Word is a far better motivator and energizer than terror, dread, duty, or any of the other words. They both go together. Rejoice with trembling. Does it say that in the Bible? So we're doing some trembling, but we rejoice in it because we know He's forgiven us and we know He has saved us. Nehemiah 8.10, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Are there benefits in eating good food and in drinking good food? Yes, it cheers the heart. Certain drinks are called cordials because they're heart warming. That's why they're called that. Eat the fat. Is fat the best part of food? Most definitely it is. How do you want to measure it? It always tastes the best. 
What kind of a steak do you want? We've been over this before. You want the steak that is marbled with fat like a ribeye. Because a ribeye has as much flavor about as any other cut of a steak. Now you can go get cheaper steaks, but you're not going to be marbled with fat and they're going to taste like boot leather. It's just the difference that God made on a cow. But you know, even a filet mignon, what do you eat a filet mignon for? Not for its flavor. You do not eat a filet mignon for flavor. You eat it for its texture. Because it's like beef jello. It has a wonderful texture. But a ribeye is marbled with fat. And oh, does it taste good. Bacon? If you're in bed in the morning and you smell bacon frying and it hits right, it hits right up in there, does it, is it wonderful? It is fantastic stuff. What's, what's, what's made its way there? Bacon fat. Bacon grease has made its way there. And it's unbelievable. So look, eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared so that everyone around us is experiencing the same level of joy and thanksgiving and happiness. We want to invest in others like taught last week. As ye have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, especially they that are of the household of faith. And doing good is to make another person happy. And in making another person happy, you will find the easiest and fullest and freest and cheapest way to be happy yourself. The more you the more you wait on someone else to make you happy, you are going to be frustrated and disappointed your entire life. The greatest pleasure is making someone else happy. The greatest pleasure is loving someone else, doing something nice for them. I'm going to ask one of my sons not to be offended with what I'm about to say, nor his wife. There's a little guy sitting on the front row up here. His hair's standing on end. It looks like he did this this morning. Um... Uh, Noah, he's a little... <laughs> he came out of the land of Nod to smile at Papa. He's a little wild man. He's a little wild man. This is what I would like to do to, to show it to you if I could have a 60 Minutes crew follow me. I'd like to quit right now, grab the little wild man, and take him downtown and give him a few hours of the most fun he's ever had in his life. And do you know who's going to be the biggest winner? I will. If I sit still for two minutes and watch him run around church, hold on. If I sit still for two minutes and watch him run around church, what thoughts do I have? Strangling. I use that tie. The difference is enormous. Is anybody able to connect what I'm saying to your spouses and your children and your life and your employees and your employer? It's a choice. If I simply made the choice, I'm going to quit doing this right now, and I'm going to grab him, and I'm going to put him in the car with me, and we're going to go downtown, and we're going to check out the best appetizers over the next few hours. We're going to wade in the Reedy River. We're going to run back and forth on the bridge over the Reedy River. I'm going to take you to the top of their buildings and we'll sit and look over the edge and I'll keep you from falling. <laughs> Who would have the most pleasure? He, he doesn't even know what a measure pleasure yet. Right. I mean, he'd be grinning from here to ear. His face would be glowing. His eyes would be bugged out. And he'd be all heated up running circles around me. But I would be the one happy. Because you know what I've done? 
go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. How many people are doing things to make Noah happy? You know, you've married someone and taken them out of circulation. Do you know what that means? No one else is trying to make them happy. This is not a couple's retreat, so I'm about to stop what I'm saying right now because there's a whole lot of things I would like to say, and I'm sorry that it takes so long to learn them. I'm saying sorry to one person in here. I'm not saying it to you because you have heard some good things over the years. But uh, investing in another person and making them happy is the greatest road to happiness. Right. And for a selfish person, it took a long time to learn the lesson. But I'm glad to be preaching to a whole congregation of selfish people that can also learn the lesson. Amen. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Love. It is more blessed to love another person than to be loved. Love making. It is more blessed to make love than to be have love made to you. Until you men figure that out, you deny yourself and you, de- you defy the Song of Solomon. The exploration and discovery of a woman is what the Song of Solomon describes. It's chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And it describes lovemaking that is woman-oriented, even though the woman was made for the man, not the man for the woman. Real lovemaking is oriented toward the woman, for a lot of number of reasons that I'm not going to say right now because I am recorded and it's a mixed audience and I wish that all of you could get it though because to me, you know, one of the greatest pleasures God ever gave man was the big O and that's one of the greatest things he ever invented for mankind. And one of the great blessings is to focus on others' O instead of your own, and it changes everything, and it, and it fits the book of Song of Solomon. I'm sorry if I've crossed anybody's boundary, but if you can't tell I'm trying hard, you haven't listened to me for more than a week. Um, I just love the Lord, and I love, Acts, I, I love the book of Acts. I'm flipping through it. It's all in the black print, black print, black print. I get to chapter 20 and verse 35, and it's in the red writing, and Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's the, he's the high king of heaven. He's the glorious king of the universe. And he said when he came to earth, he didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm sorry I didn't make any progress today, but will you remember this little guy up here? And if I sit still for two minutes after I say amen, I will have homicidal thoughts. (laughs) Suicidal thoughts. He's my grandson. But if I were to grab him and put him in the car he and I would have a blast because I would be investing in him. And I promise you, he, does, he can't even measure the joy I would have at helping him experience things he's never experienced before. Can we do that for each other? Can we build this church up to be happy? You know, grab the first bun. Take courage. And the Lord will strengthen your heart. It's a choice. I will rejoice in the Lord. These are all choices. You can do this. Will you do it with me for the Lord's sake? So when we heard Brother Jim confront us, and righteously and rightfully so, why do you approach each other on Sunday mornings and say, it's good to be in the house of the Lord? Are you truly making a decision by faith? Did you hear what he said? Are you truly making a decision by faith 
I know this is the Lord's house. The Lord is worthy of everything I can give Him. And by faith, I am glad to be here. And I intend to give Him my best this day. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. And we will have a break and rejoin ourselves back here at 1130. Stand with me, please.